Hi everyone. So all of our minisodes are now being released inside of our Patreon fan club, but I thought this was an important case for you guys to hear. So I wanted to release a good lengthy sneak peek into it. Enjoy. Welcome to this month's mini-sode for our Patreon fan club members. A lot of my info today I found through Redux, which you can find at redux.info, and this is an independent pro-woman, pro-child news source. Most of the court documents I obtained were linked through this source. And let me just throw a trigger warning here before we get into it, because it might be a short episode, but it is disturbing, and it involves discussion around the sexual assault of two nine-year-old girls, as well as a disabled man. So why? I know, but it's something I just learned about and something I had to share because the person who committed these crimes and was originally sentenced to death for it is now an advocate for a group that I'm sure does not want this person speaking for them. They're writing books. They're writing for public journals. Can you just do a normal kind of story rather than involving kids? Oh, I know. It does suck that this does involve kids, but... It is just, it is wild to me that this person is basically being praised through all these publications and people are hiring them from prison to write these journals and do these things. Yet none of those publications mention the reason this person is sentenced to prison in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive into it then. According to the Missouri Court of Appeals in a document titled State versus Trimble, it was June 13th, 1979 when two nine-year-old girls are playing outside in St. Charles County. This is in Missouri and the girls are playing in a wooded area located near the intersection of Elman Road and Essex Street. These little besties are close in age. The older girl was born in September of 1969 and the other one just one month younger, born in October of 1969. They had been running around when they came across a tree that had this rope tangled up in it, and they want to get it down so they can play with it. They're jumping and reaching. They're even trying to climb, but there's no luck. And it's during this pursuit of the rope that Patrick Trimble spots the two girls. He's 20 years old at this time in his life, and he's just over six feet tall. So he tells the girls he can get the rope down for them. They're excited, especially when he starts showing them all these neat tricks he can do with the rope. He's like, okay, let me show you these really cool knots, and then you guys can try them yourselves. But you have to help me out. He then puts one of the girl's wrists in front of him, tying it up with a locked knot, and then he does the same to the other girl's wrist. This is when the monster inside of him is shown because he grabs the rope dangling between the two girls and starts taking the two kids through the trees and over to his car, forcing them into the back seat, telling them that they better not cry or scream. That would be terrifying. Yeah. Those poor little girls, like nine years old. I thought when you were first telling me the story about the rope and them playing in the trees that like a trap was going to... A trap was going <laughs> to fall down. You're was like, going to fall and get them or they'd be snatched snatched up in a net. That would be absolutely terrifying, like a bear trap just <laughs> grabbing them. No, that... Yeah, that would be so scary. <laughs> but no, just a monster that was kind of hiding around and... Probably they would have been better off if they were caught in a trap. So Trimble drives the two girls a short distance down the road to another wooded area, leaving their bikes laying near the intersection of where he had just taken them from. And he demands both girls to take off their clothes before removing their underwear himself and sitting both girls onto a log. 
Then he unzips his own pants, exposing himself. The questioning between law enforcement investigators and the younger girl was heart-wrenching. I read all of it, but I'm not going to reiterate every question and answer here. However, I am going to describe what happened as simply as I can. It's hard to hear, but I want to make the crime clear just to show you how evil this person is. So after he exposes himself, Trimble starts kissing the girls on their lips and their breast area before forcing both girls to perform oral sex on him. Then he takes the younger girl back to his car, telling her to lay on the ground beneath the back seat. Once she's down, he both orally and vaginally rapes her, and once that assault is finished, he starts to molest her, and now she's screaming. So he puts his hand over the girl's mouth, telling her to grab her clothes back by the log before letting both girls go free after at least an hour of detaining them. Did it only happen to the one? So the beginning part happened to both of them, where he forces them to perform oral sex on him, and he's like kissing them and kind of like molesting them. But only the younger girl is raped. Mm -hmm. And so the assault is more vicious on this one girl. But the court records, the court document that I read states that the other girl's testimony like goes right hand in hand with what that girl had said. Okay. And the older girl's mom, she had actually been driving home from work just before the girls were taken. It's 7.50 p.m. when she spots the girls' bikes alongside a ditch where she assumed they were playing. She stops the car to jump out and she checks on them. She knew they'd be playing nearby and she just wanted to let her daughter know that she was home from work now. So she calls out to them and it seems that she was able to check in, but no one knew that Trimble was laying in the ditch unable to be seen. It was right after this that he kidnaps and assaults the girls. Then he releases them and a person person driving by spots the girls, offering them a ride home. Both girls make it home by 9 p.m. that night. So that's why police know he had them for about an hour, maybe a little longer, from about 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. So the mom called out for him before they were kidnapped? I think so. At first, I thought she just saw the bikes, thought they were playing, and called out to them and like didn't get an answer. But then it's stated in that court document that Trimble is laying in the ditch and she couldn't see him. So I'm thinking she was able to... like be like hey I'm coming home the girls are right there and then when she leaves he comes out of the ditch and Mm. you know yeah takes the girls into his car because I think if she wasn't able to communicate with them right then when she saw their bikes laying there she probably would have looked further gotten more worried like would have reported that she didn't know where her kids were yeah if they didn't answer yeah So it seems to me she was able to talk to them and that's kind of how they have that time frame of an hour because she sees them at 7.50 and this other person drives them home by 9 p.m. The girls are brave enough to communicate to their parents what had happened and immediately law enforcement's called in and although a later appeal in this case would state by the defense that the girl's description of their attacker was inaccurate, it matched Trimble almost perfectly. The younger girl describes the man who hurt them as a white man, 24 to 27 years old, long black hair parted in the middle, acne on his face, and a mustache. This guy had a black tattoo of a spider on his left wrist, and she estimated him to be maybe six feet tall. And the older girl describes the perp as a white man, 25 to 30 years old, long dark brown hair parted in the middle, and 5 foot 11 inches tall. 
Now, obviously, the age description is off and the height's not perfect, but these are literally two nine-year-old girls. I can guarantee you that I, a 27-year-old woman, cannot accurately guess the age or height of anybody. Yeah. So, you know, he's 20 at the time. He's six foot one inches tall. So the girls are pretty close in their description. Mm-hmm. like of age and height. And then at his trial, Trimble testifies that during the attack, he had hair just above his shoulders, parted down the middle, a mustache, and a tattoo of a spider as well as a partial cross on his left forearm. So obviously, this is the same person. Both girls also identified Trimble through a photo lineup. One was done four days after the crime and the other was done on June seventeenth, 1979. And it stated in that court document that the one done four days after was a picture of Trimble from two years earlier. So the girl had seen it and she said, that's him, but his hair's longer, which makes sense because this is two years before. Yeah. And then he had been growing out his hair. And now at this time in 1979, it's to his shoulders. And then I believe it's the other girl who does the photo lineup on June 17th. And that's a photo of him on that same day. So you know, she identifies him as he is that day. Thankfully, that appeal I just mentioned and where I found this detailed information was not granted. Quote, we find no infringement of defendants' federally protected rights in any respect briefed or argued here. We perceive neither error materially affecting the merits of the action nor plain error. Accordingly, the judgments are affirmed. Before I can get into the sentencing at the conclusion of this trial and the later privilege and reward of being deemed a transgender feminist, an activist, an author, and an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, we first need to talk about the violent assault and murder that Patrick perpetrates onto his cellmate while awaiting his trial for the rapes. And I'm not saying that the LGBTQ plus community doesn't need advocates for those of their community that are incarcerated. I know they do. The prison system needs reform and change in so many ways. Being an advocate for the change you believe in is needed. We just all know this person is not it. It's not someone who benefits that community. I don't forgive child rapists regardless of their gender, identity, race, religion, all across the board. I just don't believe child predators deserve any recognition because those little girls' lives are changed forever. And an FYI for everyone, I am referring to Trimble's identity through this story as he identifies during those years. So during this time... He's identifying as a man, and if you haven't been able to guess it, later on he identifies as a woman, and I'll refer to him accordingly when he does that. Okay. So, what happens to Patrick's cellmate? Jerry James Everett was arrested and put into the St. Charles County Jail in October of 1979 after he steals a van. So, he's sent to jail, and he's just awaiting trial. According to an appeal document, Jerry was described as being mentally slow when this document states that he may not have fully comprehended what was happening to him. Jerry's mom would testify that he did struggle with a drug addiction and after running away from his family home multiple times, he became isolated, really keeping to himself by 16 years old. He had been seen in an inpatient hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and he struggled with reading and writing. 
So Jerry is placed in this jail just two days before Patrick was placed here after being arrested on charges of kidnapping, rape, and sodomizing the two nine-year-old girls. These two are not cellmates, but they're in the same block. So it's like a group of four different cells. So they're in that same area, but different single cells. Yeah. So Jerry's the same age as Patrick, 20 years old, but he's much smaller. We know Patrick's about 6'1", and he weighs around 210 pounds, while Jerry is a couple inches shorter and weighed only about 145 pounds. After Patrick arrives, he starts running his mouth, telling multiple inmates that he was scared of being sentenced to prison on the charges of assaulting those children, because prison inmates don't take kindly to child predators. He was telling everyone that it would be dangerous and hard for him to go to prison, on only those charges, so he's hoping to catch something bigger. Thanks for checking out this sneak peek. And if you want to hear the rest of this mini-sode, you can join our Patreon fan club right now. I decided to have our mini-sodes released to all three tiers within our Patreon. So for as little as $5 a month, you'll gain access to monthly mini-sodes and bonus cases. The link to our Patreon page will be in the description wherever you're listening to the podcast. So just click on episode description and you'll find it there. You can also find it on our social medias. So come on and join us only if you want to.